All right, dude. I remember when I hit you up for this podcast, you wanted to share one of your Halloween costumes. You tell me, I mean, dude, how did, how did you execute that costume? Well, like all good costumes, this shit was last minute. <laughs> uh, but I was basically Tinder. I got a white button-up shirt. I got the X's and O's, the green X's and O's on um, one chest and the other. And my roommate had, you know how they have those Instagram cutouts and stuff? So something like that, but we did it for like the Tinder version. Swipe left, swipe right type of shit. But that shit got so popular. Like, I don't know if you could find photos because a lot of strangers wanted to take pictures of me. For everyone swiping left or right. I bet hella people were just poking you all night, huh? Like, hey, I mean, I didn't mind. I was single at the time, so <laughs> it was all good. What is good, everyone? We back, we back, and most importantly, we back with a new mic. Thank goodness for better sound quality, am I right? We back with new guests, some old guests, and most importantly, more dope narratives to be narrated. Thank you so much for all the love on episode 1. I really do appreciate every single DM, every repost. I still cannot believe people are tuning into my silly little quarantine project, but I'm so grateful. So to you listening right now, thank you and welcome. Anyways, I'm still embarrassed with how long I spoke during last week's intro, so let's get right into it. Happy Halloween! Episode 2, as you know, is Hella Halloween, and I asked a handful of my friends and also some family members to share their real-life scary stories. And y'all, let me just say I was spooked just editing this episode. Like, for real, I was like, ah, why am I editing these at night? That being said, the stories in this episode will be scary in nature, and with that, viewer discretion is definitely advised. And with that, let's hop right in. My name is Sab. I'm already scared, and you're listening to the DNGN podcast. Now, a lot of these stories today are indeed paranormal esque in nature, you know, goosebumps, BuzzFeed Unsolved, Dean and Sam Winchester supernatural type vibes. But to start us off today, a different type of scary, one with no ghosts involved at all, really just a car an empty road, and fleeting moments of pure terror. Like Kimmy will say later, some Jesus take the wheel type of shit. And unlike the rest of the stories in this episode, I was there for this one. Here is myself and Kimmy returning to the podcast with, there was something looking out for us that day. And if for any reason you'd like to skip around to different stories, I've included timestamps in the description. Let's get into it. Guess who's back? Hey, what's up, y'all? It's Kimmy. <laughs> so Kimmy's back, and y'all might know Kimmy from episode one. Although the story we're about to tell isn't paranormal in nature, thankfully, um, it still is one of the scariest moments of my life so far. And I thought it was the perfect way to start this episode because Kimmy and I happened to experience it together. So if I remember correctly, right, it was that first summer after we met after freshman year of college yes yes that's correct um yeah you you got it just like sabrina this was also one of the scariest moments of my life as well so this story dates back to our first summer of college in 2016. so for some context sabrina and i live about 30 minutes away from each other and she was over at my house i think it was the first or second week of summer and my mom and I said we would drop her off at her place since we were going to hit up the outlets that were really close to her house. 
anyways, my mom, Sab, and I all got some T4, which is this boba shop at my hometown, before heading out. And of course, I offered to drive because my mom can't drive for shit. So we're on the way back, and Sabrina's in the passenger seat, and my mom is in the back seat. And we're on the road leading to I-80, which is the freeway back to Sabrina's hometown. And I get stuck behind this big ass truck that was going like 10 miles per hour below the speed limit. We're driving, mind you, hella slow. And we finally reach the ramp to the freeway. As soon as we hit the fork between the ramp and the main freeway, I kind of floor the pedal and then I try skirting to the fast lane to overtake the truck. And another important detail to the story is that we were taking my dad's car and my dad, um, my dad has a Tesla. And because we didn't want to use gas driving to the bay, we decided to just use my dad's car. And for context, when you press down on the pedal, it like really lurches forward. And so when you take your foot off the pedal, the car starts braking even without using the brakes. It's a little hard to explain without feeling it, but back to the story. I floor the pedal to overtake the slow truck and immediately I lose control of the wheel. It was locked in like this slight left towards the fast lane. And this is the type of freeway where there's no divider between our side of the freeway and the other side with oncoming traffic. So <laughs> yeah, it was, it was wild. Sabrina and my mom noticed that I wasn't straightening the wheel and we were swerving since I was trying to force the wheel to move, you know? And my mom's like saying my name over and over, increasingly getting like louder and more panicked. And she's just like, Kimmy, 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 Kimmy. And she's just screaming. And I'm just saying back, mom, I can't move the wheel. I can't move. And I'm just like panicking and freaking out because we're about to hit the small strip of land between the two sides of the freeway. And I don't know, like, I don't know what came over me, but I used both of my hands to yank the shit out of the wheel to the right. And so the car obviously takes a hard turn. This turn caused us to drift back onto our side of the freeway. And I break because we were really about to make a full 360. Like we were drifting pretty much in the middle of the freeway. So yeah, wow, that's over, right? I feel relief. And then my breath literally catches in my throat because I look out the window on Sabrina's side and I realize we're literally perpendicular to traffic. Like cars would literally T-bone us had we stayed there. So of course I'm freaking out again and I push the pedal so fast. We end up on the right side of the freeway closest to the slow lane. Like you know where cars go when their stuff breaks down on the freeway? Luckily, there was no barrier, so we didn't crash or anything, but we hit a curb and some dead grass. For anyone local in the area and you know where we live, this was at the Altamont, so you know what I mean. I take a quick take at our surroundings to make sure we're out of harm's way, and my heart drops again for what seems like the millionth time. I want to say on 10 to 15 feet on either side of where we ended up, there were deep dips into ridges. We were literally on the highest point of a hill. There was a moment of stillness in the car for a few seconds, and then my entire person starts shaking out of fear. I couldn't bring myself to look at Sabrina or my mom because the first thoughts that came to my mind was, 
how could I put my mom and best friend through that situation? We really could have died if this exact sequence of events didn't occur. If my wheel had stayed locked, we would have hit oncoming traffic. If I froze in the middle of the freeway, perpendicular to oncoming traffic, we would have been T-boned. If we started swerving just a few seconds more, we would have hit the ditch and our car would have definitely flipped. And mind you, this all happened in the span of maybe 30 seconds, maybe even less. It felt like an eternity at the moment. So of course, I'm totally shook at the moment and I'm starting to realize that Sabrina hasn't said a word or let out a single sound. Whereas my mom over here was literally screaming my name over and over and over and she had no seatbelt in the back. So <laughs> she kept getting rocked back and forth in the back. On top of that, my mom's boba spilled all over the ceiling of the Tesla because right before this, when we were at T4, she had accidentally left a gaping hole when she tried to pierce the boba cup with her straw. It was mad funny. But anyways, my mom is the first to come to her senses. She calls my dad. Minutes later, we hear the police, ambulance, and fire department coming our way. Someone had called 911. My dad came shortly after, and everything was okay. Like I said, it had to happen in this exact order of events for all of us to be safe. Any change in these factors could have meant injury or even death for us. And another thing that I find entirely amazing is that even amidst the panic and raw fear, I will never forget how much clarity I had in those few seconds. It was like, even though I was internally panicking, and my brain seemed to shut down, my body knew exactly what to do in that situation. It's not like I ever thought, hmm, I should use all my strength to turn the wheel, or, huh, maybe now I should hit the pedal so we don't get hit. It was for real autopilot mode. It was some Jesus take the wheel shit. And life is funny that way. And since we're retelling the story, um, what were your thoughts as this whole thing was happening? You said it. I was hella quiet. I don't know if we've ever unpacked this, but what I remember the most, I'm not sure if this is PTSD, traumatic type of symptoms, or, but I just have a lot of like sensory memories from the event. For instance, I don't even remember what I was seeing. I remember just smelling your mom's elegant rose milk tea from T4 when the car was spinning. And then I just remember her scream like, Kimmy, Kimmy, Kimmy. And then you were like, mom, mom, mom. And then my next memory when I regained sight was when we were already on top of the ditch. You would think that we would have been like, oh my God, like we're alive. We were all in like survival mode. Like you sprung into action right away. You called your dad. And the next thing I remember was there was a guy in a sedan or a pickup truck who pulled up next to us because he I don't know if he thought that we were okay or anything. And yeah, there were actually, I think about, there were two people that came by. One guy on a motorcycle and then that guy that you mentioned. And I don't know, it was kind of like, whoa, people actually stopped by on the side of the road to yeah. check up on people. <laughs> And I think he was also just confused how we managed to do a 180. So I remember y'all were like explaining to him like the wheel lock or something. Like I said, we weren't even grateful for our lives or anything. I think that was just too much to comprehend or fathom in that moment. 
but we were all like how did that happen like how did the wheel lock how did like you said it was a very specific sequence of events yeah i feel like there was a lot of mystery around the entire situation because one i've never like my family and i have never had that problem with the tesla before and another thing that was mysterious was when we were perpendicular to oncoming traffic on our side of the freeway and I pressed the pedal to lurch us forward, we didn't hit the curb, you know? That's, we went over. We went, we over. went over the curb because there was no damage to the bumper or even under the bumper of the car. Something I'm really grateful for was that I specifically remember as I was looking out at Sabrina's side when we were perpendicular to the freeway, um, a lot of the cars had, had slowed down because I think, I guess that they had seen like what was going on and were slowing down to warn other incoming traffic behind them to slow down as well. Oh, thank God. I didn't, I didn't know that. <laughs> this is so funny. But every time I pass by that spot, when I head on I-80, I always think of that, like that situation. Me like, too. Not it, without fail, I always think about what happened. To me, what's scary about this story, besides the fact that it could have been fatal, is that we didn't do anything wrong. Our car was driving safely. It's not like we were we were speeding and we weren't even in traffic. There weren't a lot of cars around, wasn't rush hour or anything. It all took place on like a barren road for the most part, and that that still happened and to me that's hecka scary because i don't know it could happen at any time even if you're even when you're being really safe like no other cars were really involved yeah you're so right about that like no matter how safe you are on the road it doesn't matter if someone else on the road is not being safe i'm just gonna be a hermit like, <laughs> like around like everyone just davis bus thing. yeah just davis trans just davis thing <laughs> Thank you again to Kimmy for coming back on to retell that story. Looking back at it now, we know that we really did get lucky that day. Our second story today, we have another familiar face back on the pod. Here is Lawrence with his real-life first-hand encounter, the Byron Inn. And you're gonna want to listen to the end for this one, y'all. Let's get spooky. Alright, y'all. Lawrence is back. What up, fools? Y'all know him already from episode one. I don't think he needs much more introduction. <laughs> if you know, you know. I wanted to invite you on today to retell your story about the Byron Inn. Um, this story has definitely freaked me out. I think you told all of us this story the first year we met. And I don't know, it's a hella famous story that even even Joel tells it sometimes. So. Yeah, that fool was spooked for sure. Yeah, I mean, that shit tricked me out. And I mean, there are some things I learned over the past few years about that experience too that I'll, um, I'll share with you all too. But yeah, I mean, I could get into the story. So this was probably the transition between my senior year of high school uh, going into my first year of college in my hometown where Kimmy, Kimmy and I are from. Well, first of all, our hometown back then was more of a rural type, small town, everyone owns a farm type of thing, ranches, stuff like that. It's in the middle of nowhere. We're talking about Central Valley 209 bullshit. And the only thing to do was meet up with friends, go to each other's houses. In high school, a lot of the upperclassmen that 
me and my friends have encountered, especially on our like track team, cross country teams or classes and stuff. Like they always spoke about this place called the Byron Inn. And the Byron Inn back in the day, it used to be a prisoner of war camp. Um, I think it was World War One, I, I believe. So executions, torture chambers, stuff like that. Um, but eventually what they did with the building is they made it uh, like a motel slash resort type thing. And they called it the Byron Inn. And it, it was sort of a popular place, believe it or not, for celebrities to go to. But then um, ever since that, it shut down. And then it's ever since then just been abandoned. So this place now is like graffiti everywhere, furniture just beat up and all that kind of stuff. One day, me and my friends, there was like about five of us. And we decided to say, fuck it, you know, we're 18. It's, it's a good night to be out. I believe it was around this time too. We decided to go to the Byron Inn, check it out. So we had to make a little bit of drive um, to get to the outskirts. So we pulled up and then what you see is there's like a fence, obviously that says no trespassing. So in order to get to it, you needed to either hop the fence, but since other people have been there before, you could, you notice like these little holes where you can walk through. And then, so me and my friends, we walked through this hole and then all you see is uh, like dead grass, like, um, and keep in mind, this is pitch black, nighttime. And then all you can see is a house, uh, sort of to the side, someone's property. But in order to get to Byron Inn, you need to secretly, stealthily pass this house in order to get there. If not, you could easily be caught uh, just by the noise you make. So we get there and then there's a house. So at the front porch, the lights are on and there's a rocking chair. And you could tell like people are home, but when you're 18, you have fucking balls. Like, but we notice that as we inch closer, like stealthily, uh, try not to make any sounds, that you could tell someone has just been there. Uh, lights are still on. So it's not a security booth, but it's more of just like, uh, like there's a farmer who lives nearby it, but clearly they will see anybody who tries to trespass. Luckily, I mean, going to the Byron Inn, um, no one was outside or anything like that. So we were able to like sneak past it, just barely though. I'll also send like photos and stuff. So like viewers at home, y'all can see what I'm talking about. But we stealthily go and then we approach the front of the Byron Inn. And then it's a brick building, uh, window shattered, uh, dead grass everywhere. Really, uh, we wanted to check inside to see like if we could find anything. We go inside and you could still tell like the last thing it was, was uh, a motel. Like there's furniture laying around, guest lobbies, stuff like that. But this furniture is like slammed, like broken up. We're talking like 1950s style, uh, think Hollywood haunted. What's that terror? Hollywood Tower of Terror status. We kind of use our like phone lights to like look around a bit, but you just see a bunch of graffitis, some holes in the ground. So you kind of have to be careful where you step around um, because <clears throat> at one point you could see like the lower basement if you were to keep going further. I mean, there's fucking rats and shit. The one thing that startled us um, and kind of motivated us to check upstairs 
uh, we heard this like sound coming from the upstairs. At first we thought it was, oh, it could be other people or it could be a homeless person who's just taking shelter for the night. Keep in mind, my group is full of white boy <laughs> farm type guys, right? So there were two Filipino dudes and three white dudes. And the reason I say that is because if you're a person of color, you're gonna say, fuck no, I'm, I'm out. Like, I'm not trying to do this, including myself. And because these fools are my ride, it's like, I'm not about to just dip, you know what I mean? Like, I'm gonna stay, I'm gonna stay with the person who has the car. So it's like, all right, let's go upstairs. Um, but you have to be careful going up these stairs. Um, they're creaky, it's wooden. Um, there's definitely holes because you could easily, you know, something bad could have easily happened if you falling down or something. And you, you wouldn't want to call like 911 or anything at that location, you'd be fucked. We slowly inch our way up the stairs and it's a hallway. You can tell these are meant to be like guest rooms and stuff like that. So we're creeping down the hallway and the first thing we see is some doors are open, some doors are closed, but there's a room all the way down. It's closed, but you see like lights flickering inside the room. So you know how with doors, you can, there's like a little gap uh, at the bottom. So you can see like lights flickering almost as if it was like a candle or something. And you're like, oh, for sure someone's in there. Like, oh, there might be some people in there. Let's just, if it's like another group of kids, like, fuck it, like we're cool. Let's just not scare anybody. But if it's a homeless person, like, you still gotta be careful because you never know what kind of mental health things are going on. Or if it's just like a nice person who's just like chilling there, you know? But I mean, as we're making our way down, um, the five of us, and then we're looking at these, what's on our sides, like some of these rooms are have furniture in them still. Some of these rooms are locked. It all looks the same, but I'm obviously scary. So then the there's four of us and we turn the knob of the door that's locked with the candle light flickering. At least we think it's a candle light flickering, but it's locked. Try to open it, try to push it, whatever, it's locked. And then uh, we all look at each other, but then there's one of our friends just left behind. I will call them. He's kind of just standing there, kind of emotionless. He's not saying anything. He's sort of just staring at the door. I personally go to check on him because he's definitely one of my good friends for sure. While the other dudes are kind of just like figuring it out, what like what's going on over there. So I go to my friend and I'm like, yo, are you good? Like what's wrong? But he doesn't say anything. Like he's just quiet. He's just frozen solid. Like I try to like nudge him. I try to like, like, bro, let's go. But he's just like frozen solid. So at that point, I'm thinking like, oh, this fool's just scared. Like he's spooked or something. Like he's not about this right now. It's not until I realize like he's in sort of like a trance state. At first it's like, oh, he's probably fucking with us, but he's not known to like do that. And then I go back to the guys. I'm like, yeah, there's something up. In the we don't know what's going on. And then all of a sudden the next words that come in his mouth are like, it's open. And we're like, what the fuck? <clears throat> what do you mean it's open? And that's the only thing he says. And so we try the knob again. And then this time it fucking, it opens. And we're like, okay, what the fuck? Either someone was inside this room. They acknowledged that people were outside. So they opened it. Or someone was like trying to fuck with us or whatever. And then there's like no light source whatsoever. And we're like, we try to see if like there are lights that are on. We try to look for candles. We try to look for 
light switches that might happen to work, but we doubted it. And we're like, where the fuck is that like light source? Like we all saw a candlelight, well, a candlelight effect, if you will. But once we open this, go to this room, it's just pitch black. Like there's nothing really going on. The only light source you see is coming from um, like a window, but still that's not very enough because <clears throat> it's already pitch black at night. We look out the window to see if anybody's like ran out or went out through the window, but it's way too fucking high. So we're just kind of exploring that room, kind of creeped out, but I definitely feel chills. I feel all the basic characteristics of like what ghost hunters feel. I feel like something's like a presence is in this room. So then I go back to to see what's going on. He's still in the same spot in a trans state. And I'm like, bro, like you got to come with us. Like this is, this is creeping us out. Like, are you good? And he's still not, he's not saying anything. He only says it's open, mm -hmm. but I don't know. We don't know like why he isn't inching forward. Cause usually you've met, right? He's, he's sort yeah. of like a, like a fuck it guy. He's sort of like, oh, I'm down to like do stuff. So that's why we were surprised. Like this was out of his character. At that moment, when I went to go check back on all of a sudden we just heard like this, like bang, like boosh or whatever. My friend noticed that, oh, one of the books fell from the shelf because it's on the ground now. And we're like, okay, that's creepy. It's something on the other side. But like we look, no, it's just regular bookshelf. But then what we noticed that was even spookier was that we checked out to see what book fell down. And it so happens to be your Bible, right? But what was even creepier was the fact that it didn't fall down as like a closed book it was open it fell down and opened to a specific page and it was like we we were like okay and then i just remember looking at like these proverbs and stuff i was like this is creepy this talks about like afterlife shit like heaven hell like purgatory type stuff and we're like oh fuck like out of all things it's just too much and then also you hear just says ah oh, guys we gotta go and keep in mind, this fool hasn't said anything for the entire time we were there. I remember going back to him. I remember like trying to slap him a little bit to see like, to snap him out of it, but he just wouldn't. So then we all like end up leaving that room. But then all of a sudden you just hear like a bang and it's a door close and you're just like, okay, we got to get the fuck out. It wasn't until you hear the slam where you see the look in his eyes where it just kind of like blinks a little bit and he just like snaps out of something. He just goes, uh, what the fuck just happened? Or like, <clears throat> like, what are we doing here? Kind of thing. He's kind of like lost. He's kind of, you can tell his brain wasn't mentally there. So we, we go back outside the Byron and we're like, all right, this shit's probably fucking creepy. Like, I don't know about this place anymore. And it just so happens that on the way back, the dude who lives at that ranch or farm area that house he's fucking outside in his front fucking porch right there's no way we're gonna be able to to just sneak by like he could see anybody that walks through clear as day what ends up happening is like all right guys we just have to make a run for it to the car and keep in mind we ran track and cross country so that was like not a problem for us that was kind of like oh i got this shit we figured like okay it's better to run the spread out because then, because another thing I forgot to mention was this guy was like sitting on his porch. You can tell this fool's with a redneck, got a shotgun in hand and everything. So we decided to make a run for it. And then he definitely was like, hey, kids, what the fuck? Like, 
yo, I'm supposed to be here type of shit. And then you hear like shotguns going off. Like he's trying to shoot a shot, <laughs> shoot your shot, right? <laughs> and then I'm running. And then all of a sudden, like, I just feel like this pain in my ankle. On the way, I remember falling down. I was like, oh, fuck. And then someone had to like pick me up a little bit. I was like, what the fuck? So I was sort of hopping. And it wasn't until we get to the car. And I'm like, what the hell? My ankle's so fucking sore. I was wearing like pants at the time. And so I kind of lifted it up again uh, where my ankle was. And there's like this bruise, this purple bruise. And I'm like, oh, did I hit a rock or something? But at the same time, like, there's no big rocks like that. And then I'm like, if you were to even shoot me, it could have been like blank bullets or something. But I was like, I don't know, man. I don't remember like feeling like an impact on anything hitting me. I just remember um, having the bruise. And I was just like, what the fuck? Like, I just feel this all of a sudden. So what I was thinking, I was like, dude, was that person even real? Like, was that, was the person by the house real? Like, I don't know. He wasn't there before, <clears throat> he is now. But then I remember doing some more research on Byron and after that, and apparently no one lives anywhere nearby it. Like, what did I even like witness? But all of y'all saw the guy. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until one of them said like, hey, no one actually lives at that property. So whoever was there either wasn't supposed to be there or we just saw something crazy. You heard the shotgun shells go off. You hear like the bullets and everything. I just don't remember getting shot at. But it wasn't until recently where I spoke to about this. And he said, yeah, dude, I talked to my parents. And so he talked to his uh, parents about like the experience we had. He was like, hey guys, like my friends tell me that I was in sort of a trans state, um, but I don't remember anything that happened. And then what shocked me was that he was just like, oh guys, my parents said our family has a history of having like a third eye. And I was like, oh shit, that kind of explains a lot. And so I kind of like questioned like, okay, I felt something for sure like, what about me? Is there anything with me? This past year, I've been living with... Well, I just recently moved to my own place, but this past year, I've been living with my grandparents and my uncle. I also asked my uncle, too, to see, like, oh, does grandma have a third eye or something? Because it seems like she can talk to, like, spirits, or it seems like she sees things that we don't. And then my uncle's like, <clears throat> yeah, it's true. Like, there's a lot of stories in the Philippines. What my uncle and my both my grandparents have also been saying is that like oh i might have it too but i'm like i don't know about that like i've never had any like quote unquote terrible experiences or anything but my grandpa my grandma was like <clears throat> oh don't worry like my third eye experiences have always been like good ones like good energy and so maybe the the, the reason why you don't notice it is because it's always good energy around you. If it wasn't for this podcast, I probably would have never like reconnected with them. You were like, hey, I'm trying to record another episode, a Halloween special, uh, so you could tell your story. And I was like, oh, fuck yeah. All right, for sure, I'm down. I was like, you know what? I should hit up these these fuckers again, see what's up. You know, shout out to this podcast. I wouldn't have like found out this new information, especially from What he said was he remembers us pulling up to the area and then like looking around Byron and going in. But then he says like, he felt like a slow, 
like build up in him where it's like oh fuck like and it wasn't until we got up the stairs where he just felt like he doesn't remember anything i told you you'd want to listen to the end all i can say is lawrence told me that story for the first time over five years ago and still creeps me out to this day well at least lawrence didn't live at the byron inn right but imagine if you did what if you did live someplace that was supposedly haunted? This next story touches on that. Here's Dion with Girl in the Water. All right, y'all, moving on. I am here with the one and only Dion. What's up? What's up, Sav? Happy to be here. Me and Dion have known each other for, I don't know, like hella long since my second year, her first year, basically since we were both underclassmen and now we're both happy alumni, still talking. Still talking, still homies. So Dion, I remember you had like a hella scary story that happened at one of the apartments you lived at back in SoCal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. I don't know if it's hella scary. I mean, definitely living there, I'd be freaked out hearing that story, like knowing knowing that, you know. <laughs> All right. So a little backstory again, just like Sab said, I lived in an apartment complex with my family when I was about third grade or fourth grade. There was a manager that also lived there. His family all stayed at the apartment complex and they had two daughters that were about my age so because they were my age I would go over to their house there was a time when I went to go hang out and their dad the manager told me about a story about a girl who lived there a little girl who lived at the apartment complex she always wanted to go to the pool wanted to always swim at that pool but her mother said no you're too young you don't know how to swim so yeah, she always asked her mom, like, can I go to the pool? Can I go to the pool? And her mom would always say no. And finally, uh, she asked again, and her mother said, okay, well, your birthday is coming up, so we'll we'll do something for you. We'll, we'll have, like, a little pool party. We'll, I'll finally let you go to the pool. It came to her birthday eve, and her mother bought her this beautiful, bright, and colorful bathing suit. And she was so excited, like, wow, I even have like my own bathing suit to wear for my pool party tomorrow. So the next day came and it was her birthday and all the guests were starting to arrive to her apartment and her mother was preparing all in the in the apartment. So everybody was still in the apartment and with excitement, the little girl already put on her bathing suit and she went down to the pool because it's it's her day, like it's time for her to go swimming in her pool. And so she went down there and she sat on the edge. She like had just like her feet waving in the, wobbling like in the water. And soon enough, she went into the pool. Mind you, she doesn't even know how to swim and no one's even out there to watch her. No one even knew where she was, that she even went down there. Um, a few hours pass and everyone is wondering like, where is she? Where did she go? Like, she's supposed to be up here with everybody still in the apartment. Like we didn't let anybody go down yet. And they finally found her like in the pool. And uh, 
like it was already hours past and no one was there to like see her supervise her so she passed away however like later on like i don't know a few days after a few weeks after they had a memorial for her and in after that memorial they put like flowers all throughout the pool so it was the the pool was filled with flowers like in recognition like of her like you know she always like she always wanted to be in the pool and it was nice it was cute and hours later it was the evening the sun is starting to go down and on their way back to their apartment they saw like all the flowers were gone from the pool now they don't know if someone just um, took all the flowers out or where it even gone but they asked the manager like oh did y'all clean the pool or anything and nobody cleaned the pool so they went and looked over there's nothing in the pool but the one thing they do see is the reflection of a bright colorful bathing suit one exactly like the one the little girl wore so that was really like scary to them that like freaked everybody out like why do we see this there's just like a reflection of this bathing suit this was before me and my family lived there that manager at the complex was still there at that time he lived the whole thing okay yeah, he yeah. lived through the whole thing so like he had that conversation with the family and like he remembered like their memorial and all the flowers being there and all and during that time there were no fences around the pool it was just an open pool like you could just go to the pool whenever you you get into the apartment complex the pool is just right there but it wasn't until after that incident that they put like a fence around the pool you know like if you want to get in like you have to put enter with a key and make sure you have like someone supervising and all yeah so that's what happened and they say that at night past like midnight once it's like really dark at night you can hear her wandering around the halls saying like let's go to the pool let's go swimming like let's go play and it's so creepy like they told my mom about the story too and when she found out about that she was like no you're not going outside like all that late at night like all the kids in the neighborhood were like terrified to be out at night because they did not want to like run into the little girl. They didn't want to like see her reflection. They didn't want to hear her saying like, oh, let's go play. Like I'd be frightened. Yeah, but that's what happened. Like apparently they say like, if you're out there, like you'll hear her, you'll see her. Thank you again to Dion for making her debut appearance on the pod and sharing that terrifying story. I for sure am not going to be swimming anytime soon. Don't know about y'all. And at the very least, I'm sure Dion is very glad that she never ran into the aforementioned ghost. This next story, however, talks about what happens when scary stories become, well, not just stories anymore. Here is my dad, accompanied by his good friend, my Uncle Jesse, with the Niles Canyon Woman in White. So, continuing with the theme of paranormal-esque stories, I'm now here with my dad and my uncle Jesse. So I'm uh, Jesse Geeman. I'm a good friend of Rich Gomez. Uh, known each other since probably second or third grade. And um, yeah, we wrestled each other in high school. The one story we kept hearing about was um, from our friend Randy Inseong about how his brothers and his friends 
would go drive up to Niles Canyon. And we always wonder why, why would you do that? Niles Canyon is this long, narrow, kind of dark road uh, between Fremont and Pleasanton. We heard stories about that. Um, people getting into fights. There's a graveyard nearby. We, we didn't want to get into a fight, uh, not at all, but we just kind of wanted to go see what's up there. And I think the one story, and, and there's several variations of the story that we always heard about the, um, the white lady. So one day, Rich and I had a free weekend. So we said, uh, screw it, let's, let's, let's drive up to Niles. We, we just started driving up there. And um, before you know it, you know, we, were, we were like, what are we gonna do? And so we said, well, let's try to find that graveyard. It was, it was probably, we think about 10, 30, 11, Rich? Yeah, late, it, was, late, it was really dark that, that night. We just wanted to see, you know, get a thrill out of it. You know, you know we were scared. <laughs> Like 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 anybody, but yeah, we were driving for a while. We just kind of went all the. Way. I mean, we were way yeah. up in the hills, back and where that's a long, you know, windy road. We we got up to one clearing, and stopped to look around to see if anybody was there. But there was there was nobody there, so we just said, "Oh man, screw it, let's let's just get out of here." So, on the way back, we always hear the story about um, don't pick up the the chick. Or the lady, yeah, that's walking and hitchhiking because she's not real. Oh, she's a ghost. And so we were just kind of like, nah, that's not true. But as we were driving down, Rich saw something. It was he, I, I didn't see it, but he said, hey, Jess, did you see that? And I was like, no, wait, 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 where? I remember her distinctly. I remember looking back at her, and I remember seeing the, the light in the road. You know, we're in the middle of nowhere, so there's these lights every once in a while. And there's a, a light back, you know, maybe, you know, a few hundred yards. So I saw the light, but then in front of the light was the lady. So I was wondering, in my mind, I was like, wait, who's that person? And then the light is way back there, but that lady was bright still. Like, wait a minute, where's the, where's the light coming from? Because the, the light is way back there, but she was really like, visible you know she was kind of bright and I, I saw the detail in her dress where i i saw enough that it was you know like uh yeah. you know it had uh frills around it it was like a linen or satin type of white dress and she was bright i, don't, I wouldn't say she's glowing it was almost like the light was on her but i was wondering why is she why does it look like the light is on her because the light is way back there it's like hundreds of yards back but I'm looking at her like she's like a light is shining on her. I looked at you and I said, Jess, do you see what I'm seeing? You said, no, Rich, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to yeah. look, man. I don't want to look. I said, come on, Jess, you gotta, yeah. you, you have to see her. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I think, I think you, you took a quick look back. He says, look back, look back. And, and I looked back and I swear to God, well, Rich saw, saw her walking on the side. Well, I didn't see that. I had a, a vision. She was in our the back seat of the car. It was like a, like like what the, but then it disappeared. And that's when you were saying, "Let's let's get out of here. Let's get out of here." But yeah, you know, in my mind, I was it was flashing like, what, what could she do? Could she haunt us? Could she jump in the car in the in the back seat with us? You saw her in the car, Uncle Jesse. <laughs> it was a long story. I think I was, it wasn't really feeling so good. And so yeah, when Rich said to look back, I said. 
all right, I'll look back. I, it was like a quick look. But for a second, I thought she was sitting in our back seat. You told me because about that. That's, me that's what made me want to leave. Oh, you're rich. You're dead. Yeah. Right. That, that's what made me want to leave. Yeah. Because when you said that, I said, what the? F what were you talking about? Yeah. Uh, I was researching, you know, different white ladies because the, the white ladies, uh, you know, there's a folklore around all these white ladies. And it, we found out that there were actually two white right. ladies in Niles right. Canyon. There was a white lady from the 1920s and mm -hmm. a, a white lady from the 1950s. And these are all, you can look it up, Sabrina. If you look it right. up, you know, Google, look up Niles Canyon, white lady. And um, a lot of people have seen the white lady from the 1920s. The story with her is she died on the Sunol, you know, riding her carriage. And back then, right, it was really unsafe. So she died on the road. And people have seen her wandering the road. And then there's the, from the 1950s, the story is of a of a girl who was going to a party from San Francisco and she also died on the mm -hmm. way to the party. A dance party or something. Right. And that, and so she, the story about her is when, if you see her, she'll want to ride back and she'll ask you for a ride back to San Francisco. But the one, the white lady that we saw was the white lady from the 1920s because if you look up the her story they actually have a picture of her i'm not going to say her name this was you know a real person if who has one of the, the they have records of her because she's one of the first people who tragically died in a car accident so she somehow got in the newspaper uh, look her up and um the lady that we saw had the had the dress of what she looked like in the picture those, you know, the nice, the old Victorian frilly type. Almost a wedding dress, yeah. Right. That was, that was her. Was she looking at you guys, Dad? Um, I don't remember her face. She was facing toward us and her arms were down. And, um, but I was too scared to look her in the eyes, really. You know, maybe we were imagining it, you know, maybe, maybe it was something... That, that wasn't really there. So we, you know, we, we never went back to go investigate. This was 36 years ago. We haven't revisited that. Yeah. <laughs> and there you have it. You know, my whole life, my dad would always tell us that story at night or during camping. So when I came up with the concept for this episode, I knew I had to invite him on. And it was seriously super interesting hearing him tell the story with my uncle Jesse for the first time too. It seemed like they were able to really connect some of the dots. Now for the final story in this episode. I really don't know how to preview it. All I can say is that after listening to it, I hope y'all will understand why I refuse to ever play with a Ouija board. Here's my Auntie Jaffa with her story, Ouija Gone Wrong. We're here with my Auntie Jaffa. She's a photographer. She's a tita. She's a marketeer. So... Who are you, Jaffa, <laughs> and how long have we known each other? Oh, my God. Um, well, I've known you since you were born, <laughs> um, and I was nine when you were born. I, at first, I called you my niece, but you're actually my cousin twice removed. I grew up taking care of Sabrina, and now she's old enough to party with me and to shop. So I heard from our family, from Ellison in particular, that 
you have a hella scary story involving a Ouija board. And I think you may have told us this story when I was younger, but like I hella don't remember it. Yeah. Wait, should I have not said that that now you can take shots? I feel bad. No, it's fine. I can. Like I'm 23, so it's good. Okay. okay. <laughs> so it's all good. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So I want to start this story by kind of understanding like who I am too a little bit. When I get really invested in something, I kind of just get a little obsessive over things. You know, I'm like, oh, I need to know this. And so that's kind of how it kind of unfolded with this whole Ouija board thing. So at first, you know, I just had graduated um, high school. Oh, wait, pause. Was I born yet? Yeah, yes, you were. Whoa, that's wild. Yeah, so you were born when I was nine, and then high school, I was like 15, or no, I was like 18 when I graduated. Maybe I wasn't even living in, U- in Union City at the time anymore, if no. I was that old, yeah. yeah. So, um, Cotill- have you ever been in a cotillion? Yeah. Or have you been like in the court of a cotillion? I haven't, actually. Oh, okay. Um, well, I guess I could kind of equate it to like, Um, PCN where you're always meeting to practice for a dance kind of thing. So um, it was that summer where I just graduated. Um, So I was always hanging out with my friends and we're kind of bored and we're like, let's do something. Let's do something crazy. Um, And so we would just do stupid stuff. But um, then one day I was like, oh, I kind of want to try a Ouija board. I don't know how this happened. I don't remember. But I remember I bought it at Toys R Us with my friend. I remember I didn't want to pay with card because <laughs> I was so that's like funny. <laughs> the ghost would have your credit card information. Yeah. I was like, I do not want this trace back to me, so I'm gonna pay with cash. And I didn't even pay with my own cash. I like made my friend switch the dollar bill. I was like, you don't know what the fuck. You were scared already. <laughs> I was fucking scared. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm probably the wrong person to be buying this Ouija board. So then I bought it and I never let it into my house ever. I always put it under my car and then I would bring it with me to like my friends functions or whatever. And then so I just started playing uh, with my friends um, and we did it. The first time I tried it was like in a park with my friends and then nothing happened. And, you know, people were playing basketball at the side and then people were like laughing and we weren't really like taking it seriously. But my sister Janine, like she had always told me like stories because she played with Ellison like when they were dating Um, and she told me about it and I was always very intrigued and like I would hear so many other stories too. So I was like, okay, I kind of since we're all here together every day, like let's do it. So the first time we played, nothing really happened. And then I just tried a lot of times and it just didn't really happen. Before this, let me just say that like I did my research. I was like, okay, what's the proper way to play the Ouija board? And so there are important rules that you need to remember. Um, One of them is you always have to close the session or start the session by saying hello and the session by saying goodbye. And so to do that, you have to say, hello, hello, is anybody there? And then once it starts moving, that's when your session starts. And then after that, um, you can't just leave the board. You have to take the glass and then put it all the way down to goodbye. And you have to have permission from whoever you're talking to. It has to be like mutual, like, okay, I'm, uh, I'm going to go now. And then it has to lead to goodbye. 
and then another one was um that was really important that i made sure to tell like all my friends was you can't let the ghosts go to the four corners of the ouija board because if they do then they have a chance to escape the board and potentially possess somebody um you mean like they'll move the glass in a square or a rectangle yeah. rather oh that's yeah. heck is scary so so at the side of the board there's like different symbols um and if it reaches all those squares um then yeah that is the potential for it to escape the board um and then another way is there's a number line and it says zero one two three five six seven eight nine and if it completes from zero to nine or from nine to zero that's another way that it can come out. So um, I read so many warnings um, on different forums that were like, do not let this happen. If this ever happens, you need to like knock the glass over or whatever, just don't let it happen because yeah. Um, so I was very cautious about that. I'm like, okay, nothing happened. And so <clears throat> I would, the first time I did it, I did it with Janine, Ellison and Shelly in Ellison's garage. <laughs> So that's the first time that it worked and it was crazy because have you you never used it right i've never used it i feel like after this story i'm especially never gonna use it <laughs> so yeah the first time we did it um and it worked i can't even explain the feeling but your hand is on the glass and there it's so lightly on there but it's just touching it and then you feel like this like it's almost like I would say a magnet is kind of pushing it, but you know that you're not guiding it whatsoever, which is crazy to me because it's just a piece of board or wood and a little glass on top. Yeah, because everybody just barely has their fingers on it, right? It's pretty strong then if it when it moves. That's yeah. hella scary. Exactly, you know, and it also goes with like the conversation, like sometimes if you're getting into it, like it'll move faster or slower, you know? Um, the first time it happened, we contacted this ghost name. Well, I think his name is Red, but my sister Janina was like, no, his name is Tag or something like that, whatever. Um, <laughs> Wait, why, why was there a discrepancy of the name? Um, well, cause it was so long ago and I, I mentioned it on Friday. I was like, remember we contacted that ghost named Red and they're like, no, his name was Tag. Oh, okay. That makes Wait, sense. What? Okay. Um, I mean, that wasn't like a big thing, but that was just the first time. So I remember going home and feeling like so intrigued, so scared, but also just like, I want more, you know? Yeah. And it went well then. So you all were able to say bye and stuff. Mm hmm. Okay. Yeah. And we actually contacted like multiple people that night. So sessions can be really short, you know, mm -hmm. you just say, all right, we're done. Bye. And then <laughs> go. So um, yeah, and then I got kind of and this is where the whole like, um, like really getting into it, like keep doing it like a little addicting um, happened. So I was like, Oh, my God, like that was a rush. That was so fun. So scary. And I want to I want everyone to experience this. The people or like the ghost that you contact is so interesting um because then you could r ask them anything um and i it's hard to explain this to somebody who doesn't believe in it and i sound crazy so what happened after that first time like you started getting into it and 
you started using it more often at cotillion practices? Um, just, yeah, or, you know, any kind of function that uh, my friends and I would go to. We were going to crash a cotillion, you know those. Uh, and then we were waiting out in the parking lot and then we would do it, um, you know, bring the board out in my friend's car and just kind of have little mini sessions here and there. And it was just like really fun and we ended up doing it a lot. So then I was like, you know what, we need to like, up, like take this to another level. I had read online that the best way to get spirits was to conduct it outside and to um, put a candle. So my friends and I went to my friend's uh, backyard. We, it was like seven of us and we had a candle, we were all around and we were just, you know, like, let's go. Like, and, and the guy who was there, my friend Dondre, he was really, um, he, he's a very serious guy. Well, he was the one um, holding the glass. Yeah, so we contacted a couple of other like ghosts, and you know it was going well. So oh, not not all of you all were do holding it at that. No, time. there was a lot of us. So oh yeah, that would have been hard for everyone. Yeah, there was a lot of us. But the reason why I mentioned that he's like serious and legit is because he wouldn't like fake anything. Um, and we were all like really scared um, and together. So uh, we were talking to this guy. I don't remember his name but we contacted a guy and um, you know, we were all like huddled around this table, all like all seven of us together and then this candle, this board, and then my friend holding the glass. Um, and then we were just talking, you know, and we met him, met him. <laughs> and then um, he was like, uh, we would ask questions like, so who were you? Like, where did you live? And you know, they would give one word responses. Um, and this, and then like 20 minutes had kind of passed and we were actually kind of liking, you know, just going back and forth, like, Ooh, ask him what his favorite color was or ask him what, like, wherever he is looks like or something, you know, and we were just getting really creative and really kind of getting to know him a little bit, which was kind of weird and crazy, but, um, yeah. So something moved, uh, outside, outside, it was like in the corner. Um, and we got so freaked out and we we're like, wait, was that you? And, and then the glass went, yes. And then we we're like, are you, are you joking with us? Like, you know, and he's like, yes. And we're like, okay, he's so cool. You know, <laughs> like, oh, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, ghost. Yeah. So then, um, and then they, uh, we asked like, who do you stay next to? Um, and then it was, he was like, J. Um, and I was the only J there. And I was like, well, fuck. Oh my gosh, Jaffa, so, he was trying to slide. <laughs> so I was like, uh, yeah, I was like, okay, great. Why would we ask that question? Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so then we started um, talking a little bit more to him. And then we we're like, so, you know, how did your wife, is your wife still alive? And he said, no. Um, and then we're like, how did she die? And then he spelled out suicide. So we're like, oh shoot, that's crazy. After that, uh, my friend mentioned that his grandpa died. And he said that he was the same age as his grandpa. I forgot how we figured that out. My friend was like, you know, my, you've seen my grandpa in heaven or wherever you are. And then the ghost was like, yes. And my friend was like, holy fuck, like, 
no way like this is crazy and then he was like mentioned something about the same war they fought in or something like that i i i forget the details it was so long ago but um he said that he fought in a war with my uh, friend's grandpa we were just getting so excited because we were like wow this guy whoever we contacted it was just like he was funny he was you know um he went through like something tragic with his wife but he's also is connected to my friend christian who um whose house it was so we were like wow this is like um so cool and then so we were like so do you remember his name and we said it just as like this just to make sure you're like what was his name then you know um and he didn't respond and then we're like okay um are you lying and then he said no and then he said okay so then what was my grandpa's name the one thing that i didn't tell my friends at before starting this was that in a lot of the forums that i read before actually buying the ouija board was that the ghosts will try to say like false flattery and lies to get on your good side because their aim is to get out and possess somebody. So that that's definitely like where this all kind of started like unraveling a little bit. Was that going through your head when you kind of realized what was going on? Or do you kind of realize that when you look back at it? Like, I, did you connect it to the forum at the time? Not yet. I was just so in shock because, you know, at the time we were like, oh, this ghost is hella cool. He's like joking with us and knows my friend, you know? So I didn't think about it at the time. So then um, the ghost was like, didn't respond when we we're like, so what's his name? We want to know because you like, don't lie to us kind of thing. Um, and then that's when the number line started counting down. It started going from zero. And then we were like, my friend was like, stop counting down. And it went from, from nine, eight, seven. And then my friend was like, I'm telling you, please stop counting down. And it's seven, six. And then he's like, please stop counting. And then it went to three. And I was like, oh my God, do not let it go. And then so my friend knocked it off the board. And then I was like, well, we cannot just leave the session right now. Gra like, you know, let's get back to the session. And then so he got the glass and then he's like, what the fuck was that like uh like can you not can you stop counting down and then he said hella fast no and then i we were all freaked out at this point we we're we were holding each other and just so afraid because my friend was just trying to help us um you know like end the session already and then he was like no and then my friend said please let us go. And it said as fast as we could, as I've ever seen the glass go, no. And then he said, what do you want? And he said, it's spelled out like the fastest I've ever seen, A-L-L-U, all you. We didn't know what to do. Um, we had to leave the session and he wouldn't let us go. So it was like 15 minutes of trying to convince this guy, like, please, let us go because there is no way that you're going to go and possess any of us, you know? Um, and that's clearly what he was trying to do by counting down. And so luckily my friends and I 
I had talked to the guy enough to know a little bit about him. So my friend uh, was negotiating with him to let us go by saying like, hey, we won't do anything to harm you or anything like we, we know that your wife wouldn't want you to do this and you need to be at peace or he said something like that. So he was talking to all of you, even though your one friend, DeAndre was the one moving the glass. So like everyone was like chipping in their piece and then he would, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. So um, we were all kind of part of the conversation. Yeah, so then my friend was like, you know, your wife wouldn't want this to be, she doesn't want you to end, end it like this or so. I don't know, something like, I would never have been able to do that, by the way. We would probably have been stuck there. So then it finally went to goodbye. And then after that, my friends and I were like, Woo! so what my friend did after we were done, we were all just so scared and just um, relieved that we, that we were able to leave. So my friend took the board and he broke it into seven pieces. And Is, then- Why seven? It, Is that like significant or? Yeah, I, that's another thing that I read online <laughs> of um, if you dispose of a Ouija board, you have to cut it up to seven pieces and then um, sprinkle holy water on it. I don't know. And then bury it. So he did, he buried it in like the Niles uh, driveway or railroad or something. So. Oh, that's hella scary. My dad is actually going to come on the podcast and tell a story about Niles Canyon. But yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm like, great. You're just adding on to all the freaking ghosts there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's like, yeah, that's the proper way to just, uh, if something like that happens, if the ghost tries to get out, because you never want to let the glass just stay on there because it can like go by itself. Um, so, yeah, after that, I was like, scared but also no one really believed us so it was kind of hard to talk to people about it we're like this was fucking scary a ghost actually tried to come out of the board yeah that's why i'll never ever <laughs> um play a ouija board again that's it for this week every wait hold up let's get rid of the creepy music there that's better i'm already spooked as it is so <laughs> um anyways a humongous thanks to all my guests this week, Kimmy, Lawrence, Dion, my dad, my uncle, and Jaffa. I wouldn't have an episode without y'all. Thank you to Aaron Tolentino for the opening and closing background music. Um, the scary, suspenseful background music is from Mark VD Mullen Royalty Free Music and Real Tune Studio Royalty Free Music. You can find both of these channels on YouTube. If you like this episode, be sure to share it with your friends. I mean, it is Halloween after all. Be sure to give the pod a follow or like on your streaming platform of choice, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts. It would definitely be awesome if you could drop a rating plus review on Apple Podcasts since it offers that feature. Of course, don't forget to follow at DNGN Podcast on Instagram for more content and previews of upcoming episodes. I definitely like utilizing Instagram to connect and communicate with all of y'all. In fact, I have been getting a lot of DMs after episode 1, like clarifying questions and such. I might have my friends from episode 1 back on the podcast in the near future, so definitely DM any questions for me, uh, for us you may have. We were thinking a Q&A type segment would definitely be fun and a great way to get all of y'all involved. Now before I head out, I just wanted to say, preparing and putting together this episode was really really fun for me. I love hearing all of y'all's different stories and that's why I'm so excited for the future episodes of this podcast. Have a great one y'all 
And whether you're celebrating Halloween this year or not, I hope you and your loved ones stay safe. Catch y'all next time.